podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Brother Wilfred is a name that almost every Celtic supporter is familiar with, and rightly so. The Irishman played a hugely significant role in the formation of Celtic Football Club in November 1887, but do we actually know all that much about the man himself? If not, then that's about to change with a brilliant new piece of work on his life by Dr Michael Connolly. Walfred, A Life of Faith, Community and Football, is a fascinating insight into one of the most important figures in Celtic's history, and we were delighted to spend some time with Michael this week as he shared some of the story with us. Celtic are a club that, to this day, pride themselves on their charitable roots, and Brother Walfred was the very man who set us on that path over 130 years ago. Enjoy this episode with Michael, it's one for Celtic supporters of all ages. Michael, welcome to the Celtic Exchange. Thanks for joining us here today. How are things going? I'm sure it's been a, a busy time the last month or so with the release of the book. Do you know, thanks very much for, for having me along. Um, it has, I suppose, aye, the past past month or so. I think 1st of November was the, the kind of release date for the book. So aye, I've been I've been busy um, doing various different things uh, to try and try and promote the book and, and make Walford's story kind of known as, as widely as possible, eh? Yeah. And did you think in your younger days you were going to become a, a published author one day? Was that always on the to-do list? It would always have been a, a dream, but whether or not it was, it was ever going to be a, a realistic ambition is another another story, but but here I am, yeah, yeah. so. How have you found it? So I know you've been doing a few things. You've done something at Celtic Park. You were telling me you've done something at the Mitchell Library. There's a few conversations going on about maybe going over to Ireland to, to discuss the book. Do you enjoy that side of things and, and promoting the story? Through my, my day job now, kind of teaching and, and lecturing up at the University of Stirling, that's that's something that I've gained kind of increasing experience of, whether it be kind of leading seminars or, or speaking through through some aspects of the research. So it's been great, to be honest. The PhD, as you, as you can imagine, it, it had to be very rigorous by by nature so I was kind of limited in, in terms of what I could speak about publicly and, and, and keeping that information as, as fresh and, and new as it possibly could be so that kind of element of freedom now of being able to, to have the book out there it's there for people to enjoy and read and hopefully take something from it so being able to kind of speak with that level of freedom now is um, it's a big relief Yeah, it's the, good The shackles are off <laughs> um, And just on that note so I was going to ask you know, should this book be viewed essentially, you know, as a piece of research rather than a, a traditional biography and, you know, what, what's the difference as such? Aye, that's a, an interesting question. I I suppose it, it always kind of lent itself or, or the obvious kind of approach to my mind with the research was to take it as that kind of project, you know, it, it was a more or less a blank canvas I was I was given by the, the arts company who, who financed the, the PhD and the study itself. The kind of trajectory that I, that I seen for it was obviously to put as much as much kind of meat on the bones of the, the guy's life, the story and the narrative of, of where he came from, what he achieved and, and everything in between, not just the kind of Celtic connection. So mm-hmm. it was really that kind of, that was the nature of the, the challenge and, and the project. So I suppose with that in mind, with that being the way that I tackled the the PhD or the research, it was always going to lend itself to, to being a kind of readable biography with a, you know, a beginning, middle um, and an end. So mm-hmm. that, that was the approach I took, was that of a historical biography, which is a kind of academic method of rigorously kind of researching someone's life um, and using that almost as a prism to understand wider kind of happenings or, or phenomena in, in society. So whether that be with the case of Walfred, like immigration, humanitarian disaster with Angorta Moore, poverty, social justice was a huge kind of theme for, for Walfred or, or sport 
and the kind of beginnings of, of football in, in Scotland. So plenty there. You know, it was it was a it was a really interesting and, and enjoyable past kind of five years of my life. So hopefully that, that certainly comes through in, in the book. Yeah, I, I, no doubt it will do. So, I mean, we're here today, of course, to discuss Michael's new book, Walfred, A Life of Faith, Community and Football, which is, of course, a biography on the founding father of Celtic, Brother Walfred. Can you tell us, I suppose, first of all, you've said, you know, it's five years of your life, Michael, a long, long time. Can you tell us how the project first came to be? Aye, so it, it's been five years of my life, but I suppose thinking further back, it's probably been about 10 years, a decade, over a decade in, in the making. And the, the kind of root or, or origin of the, the research project would be the uh, the famous kind of portrait that's hanging in St Mary's, the birthplace of Celtic Football Club mm-hmm. um, in the Carlton um, of Walfred, produced by Peter Housen. Um, he did a similar artwork of um, St John Ogilvie that's in, in the cathedral at St Andrews. So um, it was commissioned by the, the Nine Muses art company based in Glasgow and They'd kind of commissioned the portrait to to tie in with the 125th anniversary of of Walfred back in 2012. So um, you'll remember, obviously, the the famous victory against Barcelona in the Champions League. And it was around that time, you know, some Barcelona officials were in attendance at the 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 first anniversary mass um, around the 6th of November at St Mary's. So there was... I was at that mass. Oh, you were yeah. at it too? So right. I've, I worked at the club previously and, and was fortunate enough right. to be asked along. So I was at that mass, I think, on the Tuesday night and then watching Celtic beat Barca the next night. The very next night. So it was a nice couple of days. I, I was actually at university at that time. So I was kind of struggling around what, what am I going to do my final year dissertation on? But there was all this kind of media attention around the kind of origins of the club, the, some of the, the kind of backdrop to where it had came from and where it was where it was at, so I thought it was as as, a, as good an excuse as I was going to get to get it <laughs> past my supervisors to do um, my final year research project on, so it was a kind of social and economic background to, to Celtic, and that was where I kind of got interested in, in Walford. And was that an easy enough sell to your supervisors? Were they okay with it, or any any tough questions? I'd love to say yes, but it was... Um I, it, won't, it won't mind me saying, but my uh, my supervisor at Glasgow was an Aberdeen fan, so I had I had some convincing to, to do there. Yeah. But I did my did my due diligence, and I after a, a kind of redraft of my proposal, um, yeah. I was away, so I, I was allowed to to go for it. Um, as I said, that that's where it became you know patently obvious the kind of significance of Walford to to this uh, football club that we have in East End of Glasgow. So yeah. Yeah, that's where the interest came in from me. Yeah, so in terms of Walford himself, so born is Andrew Kerens in 1840. Um, he survives and Gortamore, as you mentioned, so also known as Ireland's Great Hunger. And he travels to Glasgow as a 15-year-old and search for a better life. But in doing so, obviously, has the hardship of leaving behind his family, his community and his homeland. So I think as well, you know, you've talked about, you know, it's not just about Brother Walford individually, you know, he was simply one of so many to make such a move at that time. And can you describe what was happening around Ireland at that time and, and of the struggle that young people at Cairns faced? As you pointed out, Tino, it was it was really like the it can be understood as the kind of darkest hour in Ireland's history. Walford was born just seven short years before the worst kind of onset of the, the series of, of failures of the potato crop. So, you know, it's his formative years. It was the it was the period of his life actually where I, I kind of pinpointed where I could potentially make the the biggest kind of contribution to our understanding of the guy most commonly associated with the, the foundation of Celtic Football Club. So that kind of motif of, of, of hunger, obviously like the, the privation and the um, the lack of food that was, you know, universally affecting not just young people, but people of all ages in, in Ireland during those those four or five years. Um, and also the, 
the obvious kind of after effects of it as well, which directly kind of led to, to Wolfrid's departure a wee bit later from, from Ireland. It would have been a real kind of formative event in, in his life and it's you can almost draw like a kind of golden thread from his childhood to his later life in Glasgow and, and also some of the work that he, he carried out in, in London as well. Yeah, and, and just on that, so the the book is, I think, separated into three main themes of Brother Wilfred's life. So, first of all, his Catholic faith. Secondly, community-based charitable actions. And finally, his love of football, ultimately leading to the formation of Celtic in November yeah. 1887 at St Mary's in Calton, as you've mentioned. And as part of that, well, first of all, could you tell us how and when Andrew Kerrins became Brother Wilfred, of course, and then some of the final detail about that pivotal role he played in the formation of Celtic? Yeah, so I... Probably touched on, it was a very kind of hasty departure, I suppose, from, from Ireland, age just 15. The kind of obvious after effects of the famine was that the kind of employment opportunities or, or, or labour um, opportunities for a young person, a young man of that age, were few and far between. Walford was more or less forced to to go and seek a better life elsewhere, or Andrew Cairns as he, as he was known at that point in his life. So um, it was a very hasty departure, as I said, aboard a, a coal boat from Sligo Harbour here to the, the Broome Lawn in Glasgow and it seems that it has kind of timing really kind of coincided quite quickly with the arrival of the Maris brothers um, here to Glasgow and um, they arrived to, to Glasgow in 1858 so obviously they are in, engaged in kind of education um, and it's it's uh, evening classes that we believe that Wilfred first came in contact with the, the French teaching organisation that then obviously noted the potential and um, the ability on behalf of a young Andrew Kerens to to go on and uh, achieve the the kind of level of qualification and, and ability to live a religious life as a Maris brother. So we're talking 1864 is the point, you know, he's 24 years old. So he served a, an apprenticeship kind of period here in Glasgow, working as a pupil teacher before he's then reaches that, that point in his life where he's, he's then kind of funded and entrusted to travel to the north of France. And, and it's there that he's given this peculiar and quite unusual uh, name of, of Brother Walfred, which I suppose was a, was an interesting kind of part of the research for me, was digging into the reasons why that name of, of Walfred was given. Kind of the, the majority of other young kind of Irish or Scottish males who travelled to France to become Maris brothers were given, a lot of them were given unusual names right enough, but some were, some were given kind of saint names of, of Irish or, or Scottish, kind of more recognisably kind of normal names, but Walfred was selected for for Andrew Kerens because there was a Saint Galfredo from Italy okay. um, who was canonised in 1863, just a few months before before Walfred arrived in France. So it was a very contemporary name and that's why he's given that, that kind of distinctive title. That's fascinating because, you know, any Celtic fan, the name Brother Walfred just rolls off the tongue. You hear it from your yeah. earliest days supporting the club. Jeez, there's the Walfred restaurant at the stadium. There's a statue of Brother Walfred out front. But you never actually think too much about the name. Actually, I don't even know if I've thought about the name or the origins of the name until right now (laughs) so it's interesting to hear that that's the the story behind it what about his his love of football Um, you know do we have any background on when that came to be was it something that happened for him in Scotland first maybe in France or or what's the the story there it seems definitely to have been to been something that he kind of picked up on and, and, and caught a passion for here in here in Glasgow and there's been a lot of other kind of research done on the the origins of the the working class game par excellence that that Tom Devine, for example, mentions. But certainly, it, it was a game that was really kicking off in earnest around the late eighteen sixties, early eighteen seventies here 
West Central Scotland and it kind of coincides I suppose with the Maris brothers extending the number of schools that they were in charge of of administering and football is certainly something that they're quick to to note the appeal of um, so in the the log books that I, that I was able to access in the the Mitchell Library here in Glasgow they um, they make quite clear and quite apparent the the fact that they're, they're aware of, of young boys in the city are, are, are spending their free time engaging in this relatively new game. Um, they invest in a football for St Mary's, for example, in the mid-1860s. I suppose it's a, it's a tool to encourage um, involvement in education. And that is certainly the kind of watchword for, for Walfred. He he notes its potential, not not just as a, as a recreation or a kickabout. It's it's about the, the kind of, the, the significant power that, it opens up in terms of opportunity for young people. So by getting them in the door, getting them attending school, it's opening up a, a different kind of level of opportunity that otherwise they might might not have been available to them. Yeah, and just when you're when you're telling me about that there's Michael, I'm thinking about fast forwarding to modern day Celtic, Celtic FC uh-huh. Foundation and their tagline as such, which is football for good. And it's almost like it's just as relevant now as it was, I don't know, 150 odd years ago. I mean, even in terms of topical stuff, they, I think we're just about, or we just did celebrate the first, the 150th anniversary, should I say, of Scotland playing England internationally down at the cricket ground in Partick. That was just the other day there. So I think 1872, so 150 years ago. So football was obviously taken off around that time and Walford clearly himself finds a passion for the game but mm-hmm. also finds a, a route for it did he play at all do you know do you know if he kicked well did he play I, fives I, unfortunately I'm, I'm not sure I didn't um, I didn't come across any kind of evidence of him playing football mm-hmm. per se but I was dead interested to find even dating right back to the 1860s so before that that famous first international game yeah. that you mentioned um, Scotland England um, the Maris brothers were arranging excursions outside of of Glasgow for for their pupils mm-hmm. to to play this game that had not yet been you know given a, a set of written rules for example so they're, they're really comparatively early I suppose um, visionary in in terms of um, identifying football as a, as a potential usage for their, their educational work yeah and so take us from that time then so he's you know they bought a ball for St Mary's and they, they've really embraced you know the game of association football but take us from there to you know, that night I think six of November. Uh, 1887 yeah. it's at Mary's the formation of Celtic in between times Walfred is engaged in, in a variety of kind of different teaching roles in, in the city first of which would be at um, St Mungo's parish in Townhead or very close to the, the Garn Gard yeah. um, which of course uh, was a, a kind of an area of the city where a vast majority of, of Irish Catholic um, people settled originally it's the first parish that the Maris brothers became involved in so Walfred began, I suppose, his his teaching career there, and um, before moving to St Mary's, the kind of mother parish. It was a, the largest parish in Glasgow, extending all the way out to to Coatbridge and Airdrie um, at one point, and and to the east of the of the city. And then, of course, he, he kind of finds his finds his home at Sacred Heart in in Brigton. Um, so it's brother Walfred who opened the the boys' school um, in Brigton in 1874. He's a first head teacher, and obviously having that kind of level of seniority in, in the local community. It's there that we can we can kind of begin to see him taking on a kind of leadership role in terms of he organises kind of boys club football for a team called Columba in the early 1880s. The the likelihood is um, that the Columba Boys Club met John Glass's uh, Eastern Rovers in, in competition. So mm-hmm. it's very interesting to, to imagine or, or, or think about 
Walfred on one side of the pitch and, and Glass on the other and of course the two um, are name checked by, by the, the Mealy brothers as the real kind of driving force behind the, the creation and um, that process of getting Celtic Football Club off the ground and, and started so I suppose that that's the kind of backdrop and that's that's the that point in time that he, he, he's able he's willing and able I suppose to, to make use of his position of seniority in, in the, the East End community and I suppose economic sense there's a a kind of financial crash of the, the Glasgow Bank in 1884. So employment, again, is very scarce. There is poverty and, and, and on an unimaginable scale, I suppose, at, at that time. Um, a lack of, of food, for one, but also a, a serious lack of access to education. So Walford, again, using that kind of visionary outlook that he displays at various points in his, his life, was able to, through football, kind of take note of a, of a possible vehicle and a, and a method of, of making a real tangible material difference to, to people's lives and that's exactly what he set out to do with, with Celtic. Yeah, there's a famous quote and forgive me, it slipped my mind, but it's a football club shall be formed. For the maintenance of the, the poor children's dinner tables of the, the parishes of St Michael's, St Mary's and Sacred Heart. So they yeah. were the three original um, parishes. And that is a quote that is now synonymous with, with Brother Walfred and, and obviously, you know, it's great to get the background on, on exactly, you know, the yeah. you know how that came to be. Um, you'd mentioned the, the Melee brothers, Tom and Billy Melee both played in that very first Celtic side. That's right, that's right. right. Tom got a hat-trick. Uh, they beat Rangers 5-2, or a, a version of Rangers 5-2 back in the day. Anyway, that's a separate <laughs> chat for a separate podcast. There's a really interesting quote, Michael, from a former president of Ireland, no less, Mary McAleese, who shared the following. You'll be very familiar with this, of course, by now, but... She says, who knew that when my children were cheering on Glasgow's legendary Celtic football team, that the club's foundational story was of an altogether different kind of heroism and one that richly deserves this scholarly telling. History has for far too long overlooked the seminal role in Celtic's narrative of Brother Walfred, a humble Irish monk whose life was one of utterly unselfish but visionary service far from home. Michael Conley, in this beautiful, bold biography, makes Brother Walfred visible again as he deserves to be. First of all, I'm sure you'll take great pride in that quote, and it's it's a phenomenal quote. But secondly, and it's to pick up on something that, that Mary McAleese has said, do you think that history has overlooked the seminal role that Walfred played in the story of Celtic? I think it's inarguable that that's probably the case, yeah. It became quickly apparent to me in, in the first, probably the first year to 18 months of uh, the research project that it was during that kind of time that I tasked myself with reading everything and anything that, that had been produced on Walfred or uncovering kind of primary source material and, and, and evidence of, of what he achieved in life or what was what was recorded about his life after his passing in 1915. And it, it you know, it, it seemed like we'd almost inherited a, a kind of skeleton or a, a sketch of this man's life and as much of it was myth as compared to kind of historical documented facts. So... I think certainly there, there was that one friend kind of described it to me of like the idea of kind of chasing ghosts and you're, you're, you know, you don't know how, how much new information you're going to uncover or, or how much you're going to be able to, to fill in the, the blanks. But I think there's there's various different reasons for why that was the case. And um, I think, you know, his, we must remember that Walfred was a Maris brother first and foremost. That was his that was his day-to-day life. That was his vocation. Yeah. He, he, took, he took the spiritual vows to, to live out that life and he lived it in an exemplary kind of fashion. And there, um, or the the motto of the Marist Institute is is hidden and unseen in the world and it's inscribed actually on the statue outside 
um, Celtic Park in okay. Walford. Um, so that's a, that's a huge part of their kind of ethos and that their, their way of life is is to be very humble, very simple. You know, there, there's no kind of there's no kind of brash um, bragging around achievement or anything like that. And that that's borne out in the fact that where he, where he lay, lays in rest at Dumfries in the the graveyard of the Maris Brothers, they're all kind of laid out in a uniform kind of fashion. It's quite a simple metal cross. But the real giveaway with Walford's grave would be that there's always a, a Celtic scarf yeah. uh, draped, draped over his, his grave. But I think that's a huge part of it. The, the fact that he, he was so kind of true to that Marist ethos of, of humility that perhaps his his real achievements in life were, were kind of overlooked for so long. Yeah, and obviously, you know, sitting now today in modern day, we, we would see that as a you know a great shame, but perhaps it's just how he wanted it to be, you know, to, to live that life. And he's obviously devoted his life to the Marist order. Maybe just, as you say, you know, hidden and unseen, maybe that was the the theme running throughout his life and he was happy for it to be the case. Definitely, you know, I, I definitely got that sense from speaking to obviously descended relatives of his from from where he was born in Ballymote in County Sligo. We had um, Alison Healy made the journey across from, wow. from Ireland to the uh, the kind of launch of the book at Celtic Park yeah. um, just a few short weeks ago. Uh, and from speaking to Alison and their sisters, I think a lot of the new kind of information that I managed to piece together w- would have been news to them. Like they, they would readily admit that as well. It was it was not something that was kind of spoke about quite often in, in the family. They were obviously aware of his you know connection to this giant kind of global football and, and uh, football club in Glasgow but I think that was maybe speaks to to his kind of family origins as well yeah. it was real kind of humbleness but but a genuine kind of kindness from the family on on behalf of kind of giving their time to the, the research process as well so yeah. a huge thank you to them absolutely and, and I'm sure you know from the the countless hours you spent doing your research and and everything in preparation for the book You'll obviously have got a, a real feel for you know who he was and, and what he was like as a person. And again, I'm, I'm just going to get back to Mary McAlee's quote because mm-hmm. she says, a humble Irish monk whose life was one of utterly unselfish but visionary service far from home. Is that a pretty accurate summary, would you feel? It was, I wish I'd have wrote that myself, probably. I wonder the, you, you maybe did write it yourself. It's absolutely spectacular. It, it went down quite well in the thesis, actually. But listen, Mary was... I, I was not expecting such a kind of ringing endorsement. Um, I, I made a copy available to Mary McAleese and, and that's what I received in reply. But listen, it, it really hits the nail on the head. I think, you know, humble is, is the is one of the, the kind of key character traits that, that certainly stood out for me. He was not someone who, who sought the limelight. He was happy to, to kind of labour away in, in the background of, of things. And his, his kind of focus... And it's something that comes out from the, the written materials that I was able to uncover that we weren't previously aware of. Um, there's, that, there's that theme, Poor Children, you you mentioned the famous quote in the, the circular that advertised the, the formation of the football club, for example. I found a similar kind of handwritten note in, in London which made reference to, to Poor Children um, there where he was sent after his work in Glasgow in the East End of London. So the, the welfare, not just kind of physical welfare but the spiritual welfare of, of children from from a more disadvantaged background in society seemed to be at the forefront of, of his mind throughout his life and I think that can be traced back certainly to his his formative years in, in Sligo and and his difficulties obviously stemming from the, the period known as the Great Hunger. So it's something that that meant a great deal to him personally and, and it's something that he endeavoured through his as his actions in later life to to try and 
help in any way it could. Yeah, it, and you know, he's, he has described here by Mary McLeese as a, as a visionary and it sounds like you would completely agree with that. He's obviously got his own experiences and he's looked at how best to apply that for the greater good moving forward. I mean, it, it could be argued, Michael, you know, bringing us into more modern times that for a time, certainly Celtic Football Club had potentially drifted away from its charitable roots. And I think they sought to address that before the turn of the century. So if I've got my timeline correct, in 1995, the club formed the Celtic Charity Fund with the aim of, quote unquote, revitalising Celtic's charitable traditions. So all good. Then in 2006, the club also established the Celtic Foundation to coordinate the club's social, educational and community work under one umbrella. And ultimately, these bodies were then merged in 2013 when Celtic FC Foundation was created to establish a stronger charity with a wider role and greater reach. Tony Hamilton, who I'm sure you've met in your travels, Tony Hamilton is the chief exec of Celtic FC Foundation and he speaks of charity being at the heart of Celtic and, and I'm sure you agree with that. So my question at the moment is, does all of this, all of the foundation and all the modern mm-hmm. stuff, does that stem from the legacy of Brother Wilfred? And do you feel that he would take great pride in some of the great work he sees the foundation carrying out some 135 years after the club was formed? I think 100%. I think without charity or, or, or without Wilfred and his personhood and his drive, I, I don't think we would have a, a Celtic football club to, to speak of. That, that's a quote that was relayed to me by by my supervisor who who oversaw the research at, at Stirling Uni, Dr. Joe Bradley. And it's certainly something that knowing what I know now is is definitely, you know, the the case going forward in terms of, you know, that, that aspect of charity was the raison d'etre for Celtic. It was its reason for being. So I think that that's a distinguishing kind of factor that, that sets Celtic apart from a lot of other clubs with with origins obviously in the nineteenth century. So um, I think it's only it's only right and proper that the that kind of unique identity is is something that's really um, it certainly informs the the work of the club going forward. And Tony Hamilton, of course, is somebody that I've I've met at various different foundation events, and I think it's it's something that that's became increasingly over the past kind of twenty or thirty years. It's been increasingly to the to the fore of what the the club's kind of mission is, is, is around in a, in a social sense and I think speaking certainly for a lot of my kind of friends and, and family who are Celtic supporters as well it's, it's something that we can take great pride in um, because it really sets us apart from from other clubs um, in, in various different ways or, or contexts yeah I agree and I think you hear so many good stories coming out you know from the foundation I think most recently the gifted £400,000 to those most in need at this time due to the the cost of living crisis. And, and mm-hmm. that's amongst many, many you know good things to do. In addition to the financial things, there's also the, the, the various programmes they run as well. And it, it just ties into everything that I'm sure Brother Wilfred envisioned, envisioned you know, yeah. back so many years ago. I mean, at the moment, we're now nearly 200 years on from when Brother Wilfred was born in 1840. Uh, he himself, of course, was born into relative poverty. And yet... So many people in society today still continue to suffer. Does this, you know, and, and you know, people like yourself and your story and sharing the story, does that highlight just how incredibly important charitable actions and the kindness that Brother Wilfred always championed is as relevant today as it's ever been? Definitely, and I think that that speaks volumes. Just the way you've you've described, you know, the kind of sad situation that we have that nearly two hundred years later we're speaking around this kind of this cyclical issue of of poverty, which. Although it's in a, a very different form to to the one that Wilfred would have encountered in the nineteenth century Glasgow, 
it's still there. It's it's still um, there for all to see, and it's a pretty damning indictment of of those in, in charge of of society at a kind of state level that it manifests itself in, in such a way that it does. But certainly, uh, uh, to to quote the the foundations kind of tagline that I, I feel that football certainly has a role for good. Um, it's got the potential there. Walford seen it back in eighteen eighty seven. Um, and I, I think to, to use a kind of contemporary example, Marcus Rashford during the, um, yeah, the the COVID lockdowns was was able to use his his platform as a as an international star to to draw attention and really shame the government into action. And I think um, it just shows you that that football, for all its um, controversies and all, all its negatives that sometimes surround the game still got potential there to make a, a positive difference in, in society. Yeah, it is it's it's so powerful, isn't it? And it's 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 not just in eight minutes as much as sometimes on a Saturday Aye. we get caught up in that, but there's there's so much more to it. And that's, you know, I suppose we're biased and stuff, but there there is that great sense of pride that you mentioned as Celtic supporters that Celtic seem to maybe haven't always done, but they certainly do now fully embrace this side of things and, and they are, you know, using football as a force for good. I mean, how important, Michael, do you feel it is that, that Brother Walfred's story is told in the way that mm-hmm. you've told it and that it's now passed on to the next generation? And again, you know, we've spoken about the fact that maybe through his own approach to life, that it's maybe, you know, it's been a you know, lesser told story. But how important do you feel it is that it's now shared? I'm realistic in terms of, you know, Walfred did not act alone. He acted, you know, I spoke about John Glass as well. He acted in, in concert with a, a whole range of, of individuals who were, you know, entrepreneurs who were business owners who were able to to kind of pull their resources to get Celtic Football Club as as an entity off the ground and, and going. And obviously a lot of that maybe would have come into conflict with, with Walford's original charitable purpose. But I think there's there's always going to be a, a place for charity at Celtic. We've, we spoke about how at various different points in the, the club's history perhaps it, it might have strayed from those original values. But there, there seems to be like that kind of a social conscience that's that's alive and well in, in the Celtic support, whether it's various um, fans groups or the kind of wider support that is is willing and able to to really take on these these big issues, whether it be advocating for the Palestinian community or um, more recently Ukrainian refugees were welcome to to Celtic Park for the the, um, the Shakhtar Donetsk game and the, yep. the Champions League. Um, or also the, the various food drives or, or food bank work that, that occurs around the, the club. I think it's something that's that's so important to its identity and, it, and its wider kind of importance, um, I suppose, off the pitch. And I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah, I think it's it's absolutely amazing that the some of the charitable stuff around Celtic, it, it does transcend football. Listen, football's sport is sport. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. But regardless what's going on on the park, you've got, you've mentioned some of the, you know, the great work that the fans have done as a body. You've got things like the Kano Foundation. That's, that's right, yeah. There's There's so many things going on around Celtic. It, you know, it, it's not just through the foundation itself. It's Sometimes it's individuals. You know, There's people driving food banks. There's all sorts of stuff and it's fantastic to see. And I think it's just, to, you know, Tony Hamilton's quote about, you know, Celtic and charity being intrinsically linked. Yeah. It is so true. You know, it's not just buzzwords and stuff. And it's one thing, maybe somebody coming out and saying these things. The other thing is doing it and making a mm-hmm. difference in the day-to-day. And I think you can see that happen at Celtic Park. So there's a, 
a number of incredible testimonials about the book, including the one mentioned from Mary McAleese. There's one from Peter Lowell, a man very much in the news at the moment as yeah. he returns to Celtic, and also from Celtic legend Paul McStay, as well as many others. Again, Michael, I'm sure these are a, a great source of pride for you, but what are your overall hopes and, and aspirations for this piece of work? The idea behind, or the inspiration for, for the book is, is directly linked to the, the research project that you know, I completed at Stirling at the university. I'm continuing to to teach and work there now. So that, that's been a huge kind of bonus for myself personally. That's that's my, my kind of focus for for the time being. But the idea behind the book, I suppose, was, you know, I, I felt it would be a, a great shame if the if it became, you know, a kind of thesis gathering dust on, on the on the university library shelf. So um, the idea was to, I suppose, com- convert it into something a bit more readable, a bit more accessible to the to the public, and to return back to that that idea, and it's something that I, I tried to articulate in the book. The the ethos of Walfred, if you like, was to remain kind of hidden and unseen, and in, in his life and in his actions. But I feel you know it's it's about time that we we certainly shone a, a light on his on his work and celebrated some of his um, achievements and some of what he tried to or set out to achieve in life. I think that's a great summary of it, and and for those who want to. Read all about those achievements and, and how Walfred went about doing so. Michael, where can they pick up a copy of the book? It's available through uh, the publisher's website, would be the, the best way to, to access the book. Um, it was published by Argyle Publishing and they, their website is www.thirstybooks.com. But it's also available on, I think it's Amazon and also the, the Celtic FC superstores and, and online um, as well. Brilliant, so readily available. So perfect Christmas gift as well. But the, the thing is as well, like, I've, you know Matt Corr, of course, right? Matt Corr's a, a good right, friend yeah. of ours and, and what we do. Spoken to Matt about a couple of his books and the vibe I get from Matt when speaking to him is very much the same as I'm getting just now from yourself is that, yeah, listen, there's a book out there and it costs money to buy and all that kind of stuff, but it's very genuinely more about getting the story out there. I, I might be putting words in your mouth, but I don't believe this is a commercial venture for you as much as it's a, a case of, a, you know, a body of work that I'm sure you're proud of and you just want to get the story out there as, as far yeah. and wide as possible. Yeah, definitely. As I said, it was it was, it was was my full-time job basically for five years uh, with the, the research project. So as I probably hinted at, it was, it was a great kind of relief to see that through to completion and, and, and have, you know, a successful kind of round off to the, the PhD and achieve kind of do- doctorate. But um, as I said, it's about, we, we would call it kind of research impact or, or really making things, these facts accessible and understandable to the to the public and that's certainly what I want to achieve with a book and, and rather than it you know being being this information stored away in, in a library get it out there and get people speaking about it and from my perspective it's it's an interesting time because I'm, I'm starting to get other eyes on what I've looked at what I've been mm-hmm. so close to for five years so uh, I mentioned to you before we, we came on air about um, different questions that I got when I, I spoke at the Mitchell Library and that's a process that I, that I really enjoy because it, it opens my mind up to, to some things that maybe I wouldn't have noticed or you know some things that didn't obviously occur to me so um, that's been that's been really exciting over the past few weeks. Yeah I mean of, of course you've lived and breathed the project for five years and I suppose there is now the opportunity for others to come at it at a fresh angle and maybe throw you a curveball or two right. <laughs> during one aye, of these sessions. Uh-huh. Have you been asked anything particularly challenging or have you just been uh, enjoying the tours and, and working through the Q&As? I've, I've, I've been enjoying it, I suppose. And it's something that I spoke about in um, actually the, the final part of the PhD process is you, you have this exam, it's an oral exam, uh, spoken kind of interview style. 
uh, Viva, it's called. So that that's the kind of final hurdle that you need to jump to achieve the the PhD. And um, it was something that was always in the back of my mind. You know, you're going to have to to set this. But I ended mm. up enjoying the process. And yeah, got some really kind of interesting questions about maybe something that you touched on earlier around what what would Walford make of of Celtic now. And of course, it is impossible to say. I, I, I wouldn't, you know, want to, to speak for, for the man. But I think certainly that aspect, that, that Celtic FC Foundation um, connection would be something that he'd take great pride in. But I also found out that he retained an interest in the in the football. So he, he, he was receiving um, weekly telegrams up until his, up until his last days uh, in Dumfries of the, the results. So uh, that, that was probably the... We nugget of information that I thought, aye, that's yeah. that'll do me. That's, proper fan, aye. proper fan. <laughs> um, and just finally, you'd mentioned there as part of the thesis or, or the work there, you had to to kind of vocalise things. There was an oral um, exam towards the end, which I'm sure has put you in good stead. So I'm right in seeing you do some work at the stadium within the the Celtic tour group. And do you speak exclusively on Brother Walfred within that? I probably spend a bit too much too much <laughs> time uh, on the average tour speak about uh, Brother Walfred, but. Um, Ah, it's, it, that's that's been something that I've I've loved doing as well mm-hmm. um, in recent years. As I said, I probably uh, would have, would have jumped at the opportunity to do the, the the kind of tours from that point of view that it got me kind of experience speaking in public and and, and speaking or articulating the the research, which is quite a lon- lonely process. Yeah. A lot of the time, you're spending a lot of time in, in the library and researching obscure pieces of information. But by by making it public um, and getting you know, immediate feedback on it. That's that's the part that really excites me and, and yeah. interests me. So it's uh, it's been a great kind of experience over the years. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Michael, the final thing to do for us here at the Celtic Exchange is just to thank you very genuinely for spending some time with us today. The story of Brother Walford is a hugely important one in the rich history of Celtic Football Club and one which we think supporters of many different generations will enjoy. So Michael, thanks for sharing that story with us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much. Network.